You are listening to the Gateway Church in Spring Lake, Michigan. To learn more, visit us at thegatewaygh.com. Are you ready for the word this morning? I hope so. All right. Well, last week our missionary guest was here, and he was aware that we are preaching through the book of Acts. And if you've been with us this year, we've been uh, each Sunday in the book of Acts. Now, he didn't uh, pick up where we were, but he brought in quite a few verses from the book of Acts as we looked last week at the life of Peter and some of his ups and downs and challenges. And, and it was really cool how uh, Jeremy Goodwin kind of brought in the story of Acts and looking at Peter uh, for his growth. Now, today, if you've been pre-reading or if you kind of flipped ahead even this morning as you're sitting here, you know that we're heading into chapter 5 today. And in chapter 5, there is a great story on the front half that uh, when you read it, there's some questions that kind of come to mind. It's kind of a bizarre story, a little bit extreme, And I just want to remind you that the Apostle Luke is the one who wrote the book of Acts. Remember, it was Luke and Acts, kind of a combined uh, journey or combined book, and then they split them. But it's Luke, and he was a doctor. And I remember saying at the beginning of the series that that Luke, um, he didn't add a whole lot of commentary to the letter or to to the book. He really was just chronicling what was happening in the church. And I say that because when we get to chapter 5 here, there's this story, and it's factual. It really happened, and he doesn't add a whole lot around that. It's just kind of matter of fact, and then kind of on to the next thing. And it leaves you questioning, saying, what in the world just happened? And we're going to get there in just a moment. But as we read this, uh, there's two ideas that kind of emerge. The first idea is this idea of generosity. In fact, we're going to go back to chapter 4, the last little bit. It kind of is a lead-in to chapter 5. And this story of generosity is unbelievable. The grace of giving is displayed. It's authentic. It's genuine. It's real. It's amazing. And then we move into chapter 5, which we're going to do, and this disturbing idea comes about. The reality, as someone fakes their generosity, they misrepresent their giving. When you boil it down, the bottom line is that someone lies, there's hypocrisy, an injustice, an imbalance of what's real and what's not. And then we see the severity of God at hand. And so we've got this generosity, and then it's followed up with this lying, with this hypocrisy. And I wanted to kind of give you those two pieces before we read this account. Let's start in Acts chapter 4, verse 32, and then we'll read through the first 11 verses of chapter 5. You ready for God's word? Amen. Amen. This is what it says. It says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in all of them 
that there were no needy persons among them. Wow. From, for from time to time, those who owned land and houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now a man, of, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. So far, so good. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Did it not belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and he died. And great fear seized all those who heard what happened. Then some of the men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. And I'm going to pause there. I was studying this. I'm thinking, man, so quick. They're like, whoop, off, and he's buried. Like, dig a hole in the ground, put him in, cover him up. That's probably not. They probably took him to a tomb or to a cave where the, the dead would kind of rest. And so it was already prepared. But then after three hours later, verse 7, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this price, is this price the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young man came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who had heard these events. Now, great generosity and then these lies. And I just want to say that there's a benefit of going line by line through a book like this because we're going to talk about primarily on the lying side. And that's not an easy topic. And that's one that I would probably just you know, brush over or not probably get into unless it was just line by line. But I do believe that there's a message for us today, for each and every one of us. If the Holy Spirit is opening our hearts and our minds, he's going to give us some insight into these scriptures and it's going to change us from the inside out. How many are with me? I hope you are. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. And Lord, as we move through this passage and look for some insight, God, I pray that you would speak loud and clear. God, that there would be no uh, sense of interruption that would keep us from uh, getting everything you want for us to have today. Lord, speak to us through your word, through the foolishness of preaching. God, we thank you for this. Challenge our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to look at the first side on the generosity for a moment. In Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, and now here in Acts chapter 4, 
verses 32 and thir- to through 37, we see this idea that the people were in one heart and in one mind. There was tremendous unity and there was this generosity that was flowing within the church body. It was quite remarkable. A couple of weeks ago, about a month ago, my friend Chris Sanford, he took those two passages and preached that and did a great job. But I wanted to come back to the end of chapter 4 because it's a great lead-in to chapter 5. And as we think about that, we want to even go back uh, and look at what's happening here from a big-picture standpoint. Acts chapter 2, the Spirit comes down, right? And uh, the, the Spirit of God is filling people. They're, they're, uh, they're being filled with boldness. They're using their prayer language. The fellowship is strong in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 3, there's this great story of healing. This man born uh, and crippled, and he is healed. And, uh, and then it moves into a time where there's persecution. But what I want you to see is that the persecution was from the outside. It wasn't from the inside. The church was unified. And in chapter 4, we see that the church rallies. And by the end of chapter 4, there's another picture of generosity, this unity, this selflessness. And they resulted that the people within the church had no needs. That idea blows my mind. That if even in our context here, Could it be that we would grow in our understanding that we would meet each other's needs? And we'll get there in just a moment. The example here is in Luke that Luke uses is an example of Joseph. They call him Barnabas, which meant son of encouragement. And there's this great example of the grace of giving. And as I studied this, I'm saying to myself, I want to be that guy. I want to be the guy that encourages others, the type of guy where generosity is evident in my life. And I hope that you want the same. But I was asking myself, where does that kind of giving, that kind of generous, that generosity, where does it start? And as I dug a little deeper, it starts in our hearts. It starts right here. And we see that by contrast with Ananias and Sapphira. We'll get there in just a moment. But I want to remind us of what Matthew 6, 21 says. That where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So in other words, wherever your heart, that's where you're going to be spending your money in that context. And here we see Joseph, this Barnabas character, and he is giving it all away. His heart was for the people in his community, and it resulted in him giving it all away, the grace of giving. And you say, man, that kind of grace, I want to live there. How could that type of grace increase in my life? And I want you to turn with me to Second. Uh, Corinthians chapter 9, we'll get a little insight here about the heart behind it and the grace that is given. And this is what it says. This is a whole section on generosity. It says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each one should give as you have decided in your heart. Everyone say, in your heart. To give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful 
giver. How many know when we're cheerful in our giving, God, he's smiling from heaven. Then look at verse 8. It says, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. I love verse 8. In the ESV version, it says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. If you need to grow in your grace and in your giving, it starts in your heart and it moves in uh, from your heart to your pocketbook and it, you can grow in that and take step by step according to what the Lord puts on your heart. And Barnabas is an incredible example of this. And he actually becomes a big deal. At this point, he's just a, a layman. But over the course of the rest of the book of Acts, we will see Barnabas pop up 25 times in total. This son of encouragement, he becomes a great leader, and he starts with this heart to give, and God really promotes him. His heart is for others, and he realizes a couple things. And I, I wasn't going to stop here, but this morning when I was praying in our pseudo office, it's not really an office, but I was praying in there, and uh, God really kind of brought me to this point, and I want to pause here for a moment. I think Barnabas understood that he didn't own anything. In fact, he was a Levite from the tribe of Levi, so he shouldn't have had property, and that's kind of tricky when you really study that. But regardless, he brought this property, or sold the property, brought the proceeds, and the idea behind this is he gave it all to the Lord. The other thing, he knew in his heart that the needs needed to be met. And when I think about the church, and I think about the people, and think about our lives, we have needs in our congregation that need to be met. The other thing about Barnabas is he tr must have trusted the leadership. He brought it to the apostles, put it at their feet. He didn't go around and meet the needs. He brought it to the church and the apostles. They distributed it. And so he, there was a trust there that is significant, that I think is important. And I was thinking about it, this idea of giving and receiving. And how the church, when it's functioning well, we can go back to this point in Scripture and see how there's a give and a take. And I just want to ask, how many here, including myself, I'm going to raise my hand about a hundred times here, have received from someone within the church in your lifetime, uh, and it was a blessing to you, something you received? Just raise your hand nice and strong. Okay, I want to keep your hands up. Keep them up. And I want you to just kind of look around. If you're in the front, kind of turn side to side, look in the back. If you're in the back, there's no one behind you, so don't, you don't have to look. But uh, so look, look at this. Okay, when the church, put your hands down, when the church is functioning well, there's receiving, like all of us, most of us have, but there's also on the giving side. Now, I'm not going to have you raise your hand if you've been on the giving side, because that would build up your pride and we want to all be able to get our heads out of the door here in a second but uh but uh if you have received my heart is that you've grown to now to the place where you can also give and there's something supernatural it's incredible when you get to give you get to give to get to give to receive to give and I just want to say, I want to be the type of person, again, 
that is an open channel saying, God, if you can get it to me, you can get it through me. And I just believe that that's speaking to some here. And you, there are some right now that you know the needs of someone maybe in the body or in your family. And I just want to challenge you to step up, listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. The most fun you will ever have with money is when you give it away. And I, can, I could tell you lots of stories personally, but I'll reserve those. But I want to encourage you. I wanted to pause here. Really, this wasn't the original intent, um, but I wanted to pause here. And I want to say, uh, I was reviewing my message in the little uh, closet over here, and uh, one of the board members uh, came in, and I, there was a connection that someone in the church, uh, even today, and I don't know if they were praying or reading ahead, they came in and said, hey, we have a gift. We know of someone that's in need, and we'd like to, you know, could we get this to them? And then after, so I mentioned that first service, and uh, it was a couple hundred dollars that someone wanted to bless and because to help with the need. And between services, someone else came up to me, and then we, we connected them with an usher, and, and we made the connection. Another, I think it was $50, came in. And that is a sign of a healthy church taking care of each other, and it is an incredible blessing to see that happen. A few weeks ago, uh, uh, one of our brothers was here, and we just mentioned at the end of the service, and uh, how much uh, how much came in that uh, in that that little offering in, in an envelope? I mean, it was unbelievable. Uh, that was incredible. I'm putting you on the spot. Sorry, I probably shouldn't have done that. But a, a few weeks ago, same idea. Someone heard, and God. It met, met the need in your life, and it was incredible. And so don't, don't uh, minimize those promptings from the Holy Spirit. Amen? All right, enough on that. Let's get back in. So Barnabas, his example, sets up chapter 5, okay? So this idea of generosity, it's kind of moving into chapter 5. And now, for the first time, there's some internal conflict within the church. And so I want you to see it, that there's sin... And it was dealt with in a serious way. There was strong actions taken. And you might be asking yourself, and I certainly did this week, why was, did it seem so severe? Well, there's probably a few different reasons, but one certainly is that the church was fragile. The church was just getting off the ground. And God, I believe, was setting a tone for purity in the church. How many know if you're on the straight and narrow and you get even just a little bit off, you may not be able to tell it at first, but you extend that a month or two months or three months or a year, and all of a sudden you're missing the mark in an incredible way. You're tracking with me? You understand? And so I think there's a real sense that God wanted to set the tone that there is uh, pure, when there's purity within the church, there can be power, and certainly moving forward in the church, the power of God was evident. But the big sin here that's revealed in chapter 5 is the sin of lying. The curse of deception is exposed. And it wasn't lying to other people. It was this idea, verse 4, that Ananias and Sapphira were lying to the Holy Spirit. I want you to get this. This is important. The issue was not that they of how much they gave or didn't give. The issue is that 
they misrepresented it in front of men, but also to God. The issue, again, was that they were lying to the Holy Spirit. This hypocrisy, this double life, and the consequences for that are serious, and they are harsh. And you say, is that just in the New Testament? Where do we see precedence for this? Well, I want to take you on a little journey just for a couple moments. From the early stages of Scripture, uh, we see that lying it ends in destruction. Let's start in Exodus chapter 20. We're going to go through a few verses here. You can jot them down or flip them, uh, flip and get there with us. Uh, uh, you can look at it with us. In Exodus chapter 20, if you know your Bible or you're a uh, Bible quiz type person, um, you know that that's where the ten, first idea of the Ten Commandments were revealed. And look at verse 9. It says, You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. In other words, you should not lie. In the ten most important commandments, we see that. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 11, we see the same idea. It says, do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive one another. Fast forward to Deuteronomy chapter 25. Chapter 25, verse 16 says, For the Lord your God detests anyone who does these things. And it's talking about uh, breaking the laws of the covenant, the miscellaneous laws. And then look what it says. Anyone who deals dishonestly. Anyone who deals dishonestly, the Lord detests. In Psalm chapter 5, verse 5 and 6, we see a similar idea. Psalm 5, look what it says. It says the arrogant cannot stand in your presence or presence in your presence you hate all who do wrong and then look what verse 6 says you destroy those who tell lies the bloodthirsty and deceitful you lord detest it's pretty clear again you fast forward to uh, psalm 100 and 1 verse 7 says, No one who practices deceit will dwell in my house. No one will, who speaks falsely will stand in my presence. In other words, if you are lying, you cannot make it to heaven unless your sins have been covered by the blood of Jesus. Proverbs chapter 6, uh, another, another great verse. Uh, it uh, talks about six things that the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Look at verse 17 haughty eyes. A lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil. And then verse 19, a second time, a false witness who pours out lies and a person who stirs up conflict within the community. A false witness. A false witness. If you go to uh, Proverbs chapter 19, we look at that idea of false witness. It says in verse 5, a false witness will not go unpunished. And whoever pours out lies will not go free. Later in that same chapter, verse 22, it says a person desires is unfailing love, better to be poor than to be a liar. It would be better if you didn't have any money than to lie. And could I be so bold in tax season to say to lie on your taxes? And I'll just, I'll just pause. I used to do my own taxes, and, um, and I don't know if you've ever been there 
where you had this moment of decision. You're doing the TurboTax thing, and it's online, and you're clicking around, and all of a sudden you click something that you know is, uh, is right, like you had business expenses or something like that, I don't know. And all of a sudden, that refund drops by $500. And you're saying, huh, do I really need to check that box? How many have ever been there? You don't have to raise your hands. I'll be the only one to admit it this morning. But I, I mean, I used to do this, and I, and I would go back and, back and forth, and there's this moment, you're like, oh, man, this is going to affect my pocketbook. Look what it says. It would be, you'd be better to be poor than to be a liar. You say, man, this is a lot from the, new, from the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? Well, turn with me to, to, uh, first, or, uh, to Colossians chapter 3. We see a similar idea. How many know God is the same yesterday as he is today, as he is, will be tomorrow? Um, Colossians 3, verses 8 and 9. It says this. It says, but now you must rid yourself of all these such things, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Verse 9, do not lie to each other since you have taken part of your old self with its practices. In other words, you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here, and so don't lie. Represent yourself truthfully. We see it in the Old Testament, we see it in the New, and we see that there are consequences for those that do lie. And also we see that that lying destroys, it hurts people. It keeps people far from God. When you look at what lying is from a definition standpoint, it's when you say or do something that is not true. It's also something truthful said that leads to false conclusions. That's still a lie. There's no such thing as a white lie or a half-truth. How many have been there before? When I was a student, I told this story for service. Um, we, we were on a youth retreat, and uh, we went and we were staying at a hotel once, and I had learned with my buddies uh, how to make uh, pop bottle bombs, and it was pretty awesome. They Boom, boom, exciting, uh, lots, of, lots of fun with those. And we thought we would bring the supplies on this youth retreat. Bad idea. But Pastor Bruce, we were in the, the hotel, there was a little balcony, and we're in there, we're making these bombs, and we throw them off the roof, and it takes about 30 seconds or a minute, and all of a sudden, boom, like this big bomb goes off. And, well, the hotel, they didn't really appreciate that so much. And um, so they get the youth pastor, who happened to be my brother-in-law and he's going down the line knocking on doors and he gets to our door and I literally took some of the supplies and shoved them up my shorts and I'm sitting on the bed he comes in he's saying hey does any who's got the fireworks here and all myself and my two buddies we were like hey we don't have any fireworks here we promise we don't have any fireworks so he moved on to the next room. We're thinking, whew, we got off that one. Well, that room, they told on us. And uh, they came back to our room. And that's when I learned that a half-truth is a lie, right? If you're misrepresenting or it's something you said is truthful, but it leads to a false conclusion, it's a lie. How many have been there? Come on, be honest with me. Yes, thank you. Uh, about three of you. All right, I feel a little bit better. 
That's better than first service, I'll tell you. No one raised their hand there. Yeah, but let me get you on this one. How many fishermen do we have in the room? When you exaggerate about the size of that fish, that's a, a lie, all right? And I want to speak the truth in love this morning. Listen, when you are trying to appear to be something that you are not, it is a lie. And that's what happened with Ananias and Sapphira. That was the problem. The hypocrisy of the worst kind. And God hates hypocrisy. In Matthew chapter 6, there's a whole chapter, Jesus talking about when you give, make sure that you're not doing it to get acknowledgement like the hypocrites, like the Pharisees do. He goes on and says, when you pray, don't pray out loud, nice and loud for everyone to hear. Go into your prayer closet and pray hard. But don't do it like the hypocrites do. When you fast, he says, don't go around moping like you haven't had food. He says, put some oil on your forehead and, and act like you are just normal. Otherwise, you're being hypocritical. Jesus was pretty clear. He condemns hypocrisy. Matthew chapter 23, verses 13 through 39, it's the seven woes. You can read it later. We won't take the time this morning uh, to do it, but it's this idea of acting spiritual on the outward, all so that people can see and admire when on the inside there's this disconnect, there's this lie, there's this double standard. And I just want to ask you this morning, a hard question. Is lying or this idea of being a hypocrite, is it a problem in your life? Where you want to look better or be more likable for some reason, like Ananias and Sapphira. Well, the root of all lying is identified in Acts chapter 5, verse 3. It's that Satan has filled us with deception. And it's sneaky pretending to be something you're not, where the outside and the inside, there's a discrepancy. That is displeasing, displeasing to God. And the truth is that the Holy Spirit knows everything about us. You cannot fool God. So I was digging in and saying, well, how big of a problem is this? I mean, I can certainly think of times I've lied or that I've misrepresented, and, and uh, there's certainly uh, things that may be coming to your mind. Well, uh, there was a study done, and it was kind of put into a report. It's called The Day America Told the Truth. And it's interesting. The article starts off like this. It says, there are two things that you can say for sure about human beings. Our opposable thumbs make great use of using tools, which I'm thinking, okay. And we are all big, fat liars. <laughs> and it kind of caught my attention, so I kept on reading. It says, by the age of four, 90% of children have grasped the concept of lying, and just it just gets worse from there. Say, how bad is it? According to the study conducted by the University of Massachusetts, 60% of adults, get this, cannot have a 10-minute conversation without lying at least one time. But even that number makes it sound better than it really is because those in the study who have lied actually told an average of three lies during that brief chat. 
Now I know what some of you are thinking. It says, I know you're sitting there right now insisting that you would be a part of the 40%. Anybody willing to raise your hand saying you were thinking that? You were, I know. It says, that's what the liars in the study thought too. <laughs> they, when they watched the tape back, the conversations back, they were shocked at how many fibs they actually told. Ouch. And then it goes on a little later. It says, we all lie. We lie to everyone, and parents get the worst of it. 86% of kids growing up in the house, adolescents, will lie on a regular basis. People will lie to their friends, 73% will lie to their siblings. And even in a marriage relationship, 69% of spouses regularly will be dishonest. And the thing is, we lie about things that are unimportant, little things that we think will make us look better or be more likable. How many have been there? And that's exactly what happened with Ananias and Sapphira. I'm going to skip that. Again, the Holy Spirit, he knows it all. And I was thinking about it. Holy Spirit's the Holy Spirit and moms, they know it all, <laughs> right? But you'd like that. I remember my mom. Oh, boy. And the to- big takeaway for me from this story is that just a little bit of compromise over an extended amount of time will take us to a place that we don't want to be. And we've got to be careful. So in this story, in Acts chapter 5, verse 11, we get some insight of what happened within the church from that moment forward. Look what it says. It says, Great fear seized the entire church, the whole church, and all who heard about these events. So I did a little digging. Certainly Ananias and Sapphira, they did not fear God the way they should. That's why they did lie. For the church to be established and for it to move forward with signs and wonders, there's this idea that purity was needed, purity before the power. And how do you get purity? It's the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. And how important is that? In Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, it says uh, the beginning of uh, wisdom is the fear of God. We've got to have a reverence not in the sense that we're afraid um, uh, that God is up there with a big hammer ready to pound us, but a reverence, an awe of God. Psalm 34, verse 9, kind of captures that idea as well. In fact, I'll I'll read that. Um, Psalm 34, verse 9. Yeah, it says, Fear the Lord, you his holy people. For those who fear him lack nothing. The idea is this, if we fear God and we have a reverence and awe for God, it's going to affect every area of our lives, even our health, our finances. Uh, it will affect the way we do business, the way we uh, act in school with our grades and things like that. How many have sensed that, that when you are reverent to God, that it makes things go better? Absolutely. And my prayer is that this morning, that this story is turning on some light in some areas that may have had some darkness for us. My question is, Lord, 
Is there anything in my life that's displeasing to you? Is there anything that I've kept in the darkness or that I've uh, kept hidden in some way? Is there anything in my life that I've had a double standard around or a secret sin or I've lied about this or that and God, I want to I want to confess that sin. I don't know if you've ever been there. I have. Where you've been caught in a lie. Maybe a, a spider web of events. And all of a sudden, you're, you're stuck. Well, there's a verse. It's the last verse for the morning in John chapter 8. That says... And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. And I remember some times in my life where I've been caught up, and I didn't experience the freedom of God. It's suffocating to live a lie. It's difficult. It's hard. It hurts others around us. But when you come clean, when you take that step of faith, there's something supernatural there's a freedom that comes. And this morning, I believe God is wanting us to draw a line in the sand and say, look, I'm going to live with truthfulness at the forefront, with righteousness. And you're going to take a step across that line and say, this is a new day, and there's going to be a freedom that comes. Now, there may be some consequences along the way, and there may be some things that you have to deal with, but I promise you, the best way to live is with a clean, pure heart. And God wants to do that this morning. Let's pray. So Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for John 8 that says the truth will set us free. And Lord, if there are those here, which no doubt there are, that are struggling, God, I pray that there would be a sense of release as we draw a line in the sand and decide from this point forward, Lord, we want to live in purity and in righteousness. And Lord, where we've faltered, I pray that there will be forgiveness all across this place as we deal with that here in a minute. God, be with us in these final moments of this morning. In Jesus' name. Well, with your head bowed and eyes closed, I want to ask on a positive note first. If you're here and you're saying, Pastor, I want to be a man or a woman, a young man or a young lady, or an old man or old lady for that matter, that is honest in my dealings, I want you just to lift your hand right where you are. Yeah, absolutely. And I get that, and I do too. But it takes an intentionality to do that. The reality is that we all have choices. 60% of Americans in a 10-minute conversation will add in a lie or two or three. That's scary. And it's interesting. With your head bowed and eyes closed, I, was, I read this statistic earlier this week, and I had, it really made me think, am I prayer is that it will make you think this week as well. You'll come back to this story, come back to this moment. If you're here this morning and you said, yeah, I want to be that person, I want to pray for you. Let's do that. God, we're asking.
that across this place, you would fill us with your Holy Spirit and give us boldness to live like you have called us to live in righteousness and in purity. And God, I pray for that double standard that is so easily seen, the hypocrisy on the outside, different from the inside. God, I, we come against that in Jesus' name. We're asking, Lord, for those that are here that are serious, God, that you would illuminate your scripture and bring us back to this point every time we are tempted to lie, especially in the little things. God, I pray the things that don't matter and the big things, but God, I pray that you would give us a spirit of truth and, Lord, that you would bring us to a place of freedom. God, we thank you for that in Jesus' name. With your head bowed and continue to be closed, I want to ask this question. It's really between you and God. Please, no one looking around. If you're here and you're saying, boy, you got me. I've lived a double life or I've lived uh, with, you know, telling lies and I can realize it. I can see it. Um, There's moments that have kind of flashed in my mind, even as you're preaching, Pastor. Um, I want you to surrender those things. If you're ready to surrender those things and ask for forgiveness, I want you just to lift your hand right where you are. Yeah. Yeah, lots of hands. Absolutely. Just like first service. There's lots of things. And what's crazy, you can put your hands down, is this week, my guess is for many here, you're going to be aware, more aware. And uh, at that moment, you need to confess your sin and come clean. Don't hang on to those small things. But for those that just raised your hands and maybe those that didn't, uh, I'm going to pray a a final prayer. I'm going to ask that everyone stands. And would you just repeat this prayer after me? And this is for everyone here. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, purify my heart. Make it clean. Set me on a good path with my eyes wide open. And help me, Lord, to be a person of truth in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray right now that you go before us, behind us, and all around us. Help us to accomplish the things that you've called us to do. And Lord, going back to the generosity side, I pray that that would continue to stir in us as well, that we would be caring for each other deeply in a positive way. We thank you for all these things in your wonderful name. And everybody said, amen and amen. God bless you. Go in the grace of God and tell the truth. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegatewaygh.com.